0: UFO Thinker Podcast. Hello and welcome to the UFO Thinker Podcast. My name is Frank and let's get cracking with a few initial thoughts on the Bit of a breaking news story that the UAP report has just come out. Uh, it Actually, came out yesterday, uh, Thursday, the twelfth of January. Now, the report was generated by the Arrow Office, the All Domain Anomaly Resolution Office, headed up by Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick, and the report itself was to comply with the requirements of the NDAA twenty twenty two. So I think it's important to remember that this legislation that just got signed a few weeks ago is actually kind of separate to this report. It does relate to the same office, but I kind of think of this report as being almost a bit of a last gasp of the wriggle-out attempts from the the old legislation, the Julie Brand amendment, if you remember me talking about that on the podcast quite a long time ago now. As we know, there were many attempts to wriggle out of those requirements from the 2022 ndaa and that led to fury really from congress and a significant toughening up of the language uh, with an overhauled list of requirements for this year's 2023 ndaa now that won't bear fruit for a little while now and considering this report is relating to the 2022 legislation and with recent rumours of an understaffed Arrow office and whatnot, I wasn't particularly surprised with what I read in this report. Disappointing, yeah, but surprising, not so much. I, I found it basically a rehash of things already said in the June 21 UAP Task Force report, in some cases even more vague and ambiguous even than that. The report was, you know, disappointing, vague, ambiguous non-committal a walk back some of the the various phrases that i've heard used to describe it over the last few over the last 24 hours a damp squib in many ways um just because i've always liked that phrase and i wanted any opportunity to use it um but there has been a lot of things going on around it which are actually quite interesting the overall reaction from most on the various social media platforms is uh, overwhelming disappointment. The report was actually due last October, the thirty first, and has only just arrived in, in basically mid January by this point. And the first thing that came to my mind was why was it delayed so much? If this is all we were going to get, it's twelve pages. You know, the first couple of pages are just generic, you know, introduction information, and the last few pages are just referencing the legislation. So. Not really a lot that, that would have taken so long to do, but most likely just a kind of red tape and typical bureaucracy that, that, that delays many of these types of things, I would imagine, behind the scenes. And the the kind of compromises you have to come to when you're actually putting something together as part of a committee you know you always basically have to go for the the sort of lowest common denominator as i believe gary nolan referred to it as um earlier on uh, in one of his recent tweets today so it's it's kind of they're not really going to have too much interesting information in there anyway as it is kind of a, a wrestling match between various different viewpoints and often they just go with something that's quite vague in these kind of reports you know, at the best of times, um, but there's a, a quote here that I wanted to uh, read out. Quote: In addition to the 144 UAP reports covered during the 17 years of UAP reporting included in the Office of Director of National Intelligence (ODNI) preliminary assessment, there have been 247 new reports and another 119 that were either since discovered. Are reported after the preliminary assessment's time period. This totals 510 UAP reports as of the 30th of August 2022. Additional information is provided in the classified version of this report, unquote. So, my thoughts on that is that there are a lot of new reports, and this is good, but also important to remember that previously, The original 144 cases were described as mostly multi-center cases so basically in the high information zone and that of that 144 only one was solved i believe it was a deflating balloon if i remember correctly all the rest were not now when bray and moultrie did the uap hearing last year they said clearly that since encouraging folks to come forward with reports many of the new reports were not as data dense and this is to be expected you know when you open the floodgates and basically ask people in fact require people to come forward reporting anything strange that they see not all of the things reported are going to be doing five observable movements and caught on multiple center systems so it's not really a big surprise to hear out of these new cases many of them have insufficient data to come to any firm conclusions and many could be provisionally explained as having prosaic explanations i think that's a key point the report also goes on to say quote since its establishment in july 2022 arrow has formulated and started to leverage a robust analytic process against identified uap reporting once completed Arrow's final analytic findings will be available in their quarterly reports to policymakers. Arrow's initial analysis and characterization of the 366 newly identified reports, informed by a multi-agency process, judged, by, judged more than half as exhibiting unremarkable characteristics. 26, characterised as unmanned aircraft system, UAS or UA, UAS-like entities. 163 characterized as balloon or balloon like entities, and 6 attributed to clutter. Initial characterization does not mean positively resolved or unidentified. This initial characterization better enables Arrow and ODNI to efficiently and effectively leverage resources against the remaining 171 uncharacterized and unattributed uap reports some of these uncharacterized uap appear to have demonstrated unusual flight characteristics or performance capabilities and require further analysis so that really that little bit there the last sentence that i read is you could say pretty much the most interesting thing in the report in my opinion that's where the goodies are hidden in the vague and you know you strip away the vague and ambiguous language and the non-committal and whatnot that's actually quite interesting so out of the reports that they've got which many of them are going to be quite vague and you know like i've said before you know somebody's out on the the ship's deck having a cigarette and they see something a bit weird they might have to report it there's going to be a lot of those things if you're going to open the floodgates and ask and require people to report things that they see that are strange there are going to be balloons there are going to be you know surveillance drones and things like that reported but here we're talking about the remaining 171 uap reports appear and and some of those appear to have demonstrated unusual flight characteristics or performance capabilities and require further analysis so those are the good ones those are the ones we want to look into so the way i kind of read that is that so far all they've really done is select the most interesting cases separated the wheat from the chaff as it were so they can focus all of their resources on looking into these most compelling cases so they describe 171 new reports separate to the original 144 which are unsolved still this this uh new report doesn't talk about oh by the way that 144 that we had no idea what they were which are the majority of them are multi-sensor uh cases we've all, we've figured out half of those now as well by the way no it doesn't none of those are solved they're still unsolved we're talking about of the new reports, which bearing in mind is after the floodgates have been opened, 171 of those are unsolved. And in some cases they demonstrate unusual flight characteristics or performance capabilities. So if you strip away this ambiguous language, you strip away the non-committal, there's something a little bit interesting there, I think you know, is it possible that we might see some more details emerge in future about these 171 cases? Hopefully so. In my opinion, that's kind of what we should be pushing for, and maybe we'll even see information about that in the next report, um, which is due in uh, June 23, if I remember correctly. Another interesting uh, part of the report, which um, I thought was worth mentioning, is the cooperation with allies aspect of it as pointed out by uh, ash uk uap who's uh, somebody i speak to behind the scenes and who has been on the podcast a couple of times on a round table and in an episode in his own right as well and you might see him appearing again soon actually and um the cooperation with allies uh, language in there sort of suggests perhaps a uk equivalent to the uap office despite the absolute insistence from the UK government that this isn't the case, and the fire black hole that any requests seem to be up against when looking into this area. Um, I have done fire requests with the terms ATIP and OSAP to see if there was any cooperation with those organisations, with those programmes, and there was basically a response saying that In the interests of maintaining close relations with the US they've decided to neither confirm nor deny whether they have any documents relating to those search terms and the reason being in my opinion that if they confirm that it would give away that there is a UK counterpart to whatever um, US UAP office there is and it does exist in the UK and it is collaborating with the US on these issues. I mean it's kind of just common sense that we would have that in the UK. I mean why not just get with the times and admit that but obviously that's not the line that they're going with i think ash has got some fire requests uh planned pertaining to that as well so we'll see what comes of it um you know at the end of the day not overly hopeful given the uk's uh, track record on these things but the actual wording in the report i'll uh, i'll just read out so uh, quote, ODNI and, and Arrow are committed to the responsible sharing of UAP findings with interagency partners such as FAA and NASA, other stakeholders, congressional oversight, international partners, there we go, and the public. Arrow is working closely with the OSD and mission partners to develop an information sharing and messaging strategy that aims to maximise transparency whilst maintaining appropriate protections of sensitive sources and methods. ODNI and Arrow have maintained communication with our allied partners regarding UAP keeping them informed of developments and US initiatives and Ash pointed out quite rightly very good point maintained communication suggests that this isn't a new function and that lines of communication already existed so the questions are for how long and to what extent how deep does this collaboration go and It's true. I mean, you would sort of expect with the the so-called special relationship that the US and the UK have and have had for many, many years now, that they would be communicating at the highest levels on all issues, especially if it relates to national security, which, as we know, the UFO, UAP topic definitely does. Um, There's kind of no question about that. Even if you think that it's all drones and it's all adversary technology, that absolutely is a national security issue. And if you think it's a potential non-human technology, then again, it's absolutely a national security issue. So it seems completely logical and common sense that the UK would have an equivalent. And why are they completely denying that and insisting it's not the case even though we can clearly see now what's going on in the States, I don't know. Um, are we going to see any any improvement in that regard? I'm not hopeful. But, you know, each baby step taken uh, in the States and the way that this topic is looked at around the world kind of gives a bit more leverage for um, us in the UK to, to, to push our government and ask the question as to why they're not being more transparent in this regard. Um, so, overall there's a lot more cases there there's less stigma so obviously there's more cases the floodgates have been opened still many unknowns and it does seem as though congress are not going to be happy with this you know although we don't know exactly the extent of what the classified version of the report is going to contain uh, it does hint in the in the in the non-classified in the public version of this report it hints that there is more details about these new cases in the classified report uh, tim birchett has already commented that this is a cover-up and all that, oh, that's interesting bearing in mind that he's actually seen some of the the more compelling data and the classified briefings and there is quite a big gulf in between what we hear from those who've seen the classified data and what's in this report and the tone that it's generated um, so in my opinion disappointing but not entirely unexpected and there will be more interesting things to come in the next report you know at the end of the day part of me is just kind of thankful that we even get reports like this at all it's good in some ways but at the same time there's not really a lot to write home about in in the the report itself but i thought we'd get uh my old pal dave smethurst on to have a discussion about what what he thinks and have a bit of a conversation about a couple of the other points that would be worth mentioning around this report as well so without further ado let's welcome dave okay so here he is dave smethurst hot on the heels of this new report being released so obviously be good to get your thoughts on it what are are your general takeaways then obviously it's only pretty much just come out yesterday as we record this but i thought it'd be good just to get some initial thoughts and we may talk about this further down the line what do you reckon so far
1: hi frank well i must tell you i've got a bit of earache i've got a bad throat and then when i seen this i was hopping mad i must tell you so i've calmed down a bit then when i read it but i wasn't impressed really uh mainly because i saw the report it's got a load of stuff we already knew talking about what's happening and then a real it's like a big sandwich with loads of bread and a rubbish bit of filling in the middle which is about a paragraph saying the key information which is 171 unexplained sightings that have unusual flight characteristics now i know it says some there's loads of weasel words in it. There, they use words very carefully to imply one thing. We're not some can mean any number, but it implies a, a, a you know a partial and small number. But it isn't anyway. Because I reckon if there's 171, they can't explain. But they think of that weird. It must be a lot of them must have weird characteristics. Anyway, the thing for me is that it's supposed to be a public report, annual report, and it's an absolutely terrible. It's not what the intent of Congress. But I don't think Congress really wanted that public report they, you know they wanted uh they wanted a proper explanation people wanted to see an explanation they don't have to go into some classified detail but they kind of gone into what some of the stuff is what they've seen what are the possibilities the public deserve, for me a much better uh you know summary of what it was so i, I that's what really got apart go and the other thing they try to do there's 171 elephants in the room they put this paragraph in and they say nothing about it. Is this the usual trick of just ignoring things and hoping nobody will mention it? So so that really that that I mean I know I'm sounding a bit testy about it, but I just didn't think it was what we promised. And the reason for that is you've had a delay for uh two months, and we all thought that uh that maybe it's because of the change of management and OUSTI, Kirkpatrick's not reporting to OUSTI anymore. There's maybe a bit of conflict. But they've come out with what we would expect, the bare minimum. And for me, this was a big test for Kirkpatrick. Uh, You know, uh, he was free of those controls. And what was he going to do? And for me, he's failed that test massively. I mean, I know a lot of the report may have been written, but given it's been delayed anyway, it was his choice what went into it. So I'm pretty disappointed with what he's done. And I wonder, can we really trust him? to carry on with a you know a proper uh, inquiry in the future. does Can we trust him for that? Maybe I'm being a bit harsh, but as you know, Frank, since Lou made, wasn't particularly, was lukewarm at best on him when he started, he's done nothing to really impress me. He's foot dragged, he's not appointed people, he's told the party line. And to me, I think he's part of the problem. I mean, I give him the benefit of the doubt and thinking he just didn't believe in any of it and that's why they appointed him. But I wonder if he's part of that sort of non-disclosure movement. But either way, I think uh, I've lost a lot of confidence in him now. I mean, apparently he did a slideshow, which is quite interesting, which probably was a bit more, uh, give a bit more information. Uh, I think Dean Johnson released that, and it was just, I forget who it was too, but it was, uh, anyway, uh, that gave a bit more information, and he talked about these four areas of operation, which was quite good, cool, which is essentially improving the tracking of the stuff, improving the analysis, the technical uh, analysis, based on that improving the sort of conclusions they come to and then maybe telling all the different stakeholders what it means. So they've obviously got, there must be something there that's significant for them to create that infrastructure. So I think the only thing I can think of is Congress are confident that he might do something uh, behind the scenes and that's allowed him to get away with this. But I can't see many Congress people being happy about this because it makes them look a bit stupid for me. Also in his presentation, he mentioned stuff about US territories and their operating areas, uh, you know, about the presence, and it's a risk, you know, it talked about strategic capabilities, I had him out to develop these and threats. He implied threats to nukes. He did not say nukes, but if you read it, that's what it means. And he talked about foreign uh, interventions as, or foreign links as well, which might imply... You need to get some information against other foreign powers. He talks about other powers developing weapons. The sort—it's all ambiguous language he uses, so it's quite—it's hard to get to the bottom of it. So, yeah, I I mean, there's obviously a lot going on behind the scenes, but one of his duties was to be open to the public and prove this thing about being transparent. You know, from all they all keep saying transparency, we've seen absolutely no evidence of it whatsoever. Uh, the only other things to note was that he uh, said there's, uh, there's a lot of little details, which I'm, sh- I'm sure you'll pick up on, Frank, and we'll pick up on in the coming days. So I know from experience, when we start to look at it a lot more, or come out of it. One thing that struck me, they said they've got US Air Force reports. Well, we've never had that before. And I wouldn't be surprised if they're in single or low teens, and they just tried to sling a few in the end to make it look as if the Air Force has participated. be interesting to see that. And they also mentioned that Nim guy or the Nim agency that you know we were doing a lot of the aerial stuff. Now, if you remember, which I'm sure you will, Frank, because you were telling me about it the other day or yesterday. Uh, but the Nim patch—that was remember that thing with the Nim patch that came out and all the rest of it. And also there was the stuff around. Uh, I seem to remember we did a show where we were talking about Lou's comments thanking this guy, uh, and we think it might have been the Nim commander for his cooperation. So there's a bit of a link there. So there'll be. I'm sure there'll be loads of other stuff. But I don't think this fundamentally, Frank, this is not good enough. And uh, we've got on the one side, we've got this, this sort of level of detail. and the other, we've got Chris Mellon's blog on Christmas Eve talking about legacy programs and all the rest of it. And at some point, those things are going to become mutually exclusive. You know, you can't have both things that coexist in the same space. And the question is when that will be or which way it will go. So anyway, yeah. that's my
0: take anyway it's, it's pretty it's pretty fascinating, like you say, there's almost like kind of like two separate tracks, isn't there there's the what gets included in these reports and and that kind of thing obviously the class classified aspect of these reports bit of a, a a different situation we don't really know what's in in those but what we're hearing from people who have have seen the the classified briefings and the classified reports and whatnot and you know all the various reports of people having life-changing experiences seeing these kind of you know the footage and things like that that get shown in these and then the way that it's all worded you know in the in the reports is uh nowhere near the same kind of level and as you say these two things they can't really coexist for much longer sort of thing. I mean, I suppose like, you know, to uh, to, to play devil's advocate a little bit, because obviously you know, I'll broadly agree with everything that you're saying there, um, but just to kind of present a slightly different way to look at it, the it has occurred to me that perhaps Kirkpatrick could be sort of like walking a bit of a fine line, you know what I mean? Like they don't want to make any you know, definitive statements about anything like, you know, go anywhere near aliens or sort of like, you know, non-human technology at this stage, you know, perhaps, you know, there could be an aspect of it where they're deliberately being vague, you know, in terms of the public reports, but what's in the classified reports might be, you know, a lot more meat there and that kind of thing. And perhaps there's a deliberate attempt to kind of do it that way. Um, Gary Nolan had actually tweeted yesterday. I, I took a screenshot of it where he says, uh, reports by committees too often lead to a lowest possible denominator output. Com- committee reports are, by definition, compromises, so the output is is rarely bold. You know, And then he goes on to talk about a few other bits and pieces as well. And he talks about um, Sean's PowerPoint as well. Uh, so that's obviously uh, Sean Kirkpatrick, uh, the, uh, the leader of Arrow. And he says, uh, it, is, it is far more interesting and, and better represents a single point of view, uh, which will be more nuanced than a multi-agency report where fear and veto-driven writing drives conservative information release. So, and and it is, in, it is definitely more revealing as to what the processes are with that uh, Kirkpatrick's uh, presentation. And I do wonder if like, you know, it, it remains to be seen at the end of the day, but perhaps he has got more, you know, ambition to actually include more information in the reports but at the moment he is perhaps walking that fine line uh, between what he can put in there and and dealing with all the various stakeholders and and people involved and perhaps even a little bit of a tug of war with people like Bray and Moultrie who are sort of like involved as well in discussions behind the scenes and that kind of thing it'll all be revealed in due course, won't it, I suppose. The the other thing as well, uh, where is it? The the next uh, report, I was just reading about this earlier and I made a note of it. The next report is due around the end of June, 2023. So if that is delivered in a timely fashion, which, you know, not that hopeful that it will be after what's happened with this one, but we may see some more information in there uh, and we might get a clearer idea. But, Maybe I'm being a bit optimistic. What do you reckon, Dave?
1: No, I, I think I think you're right. I mean, I'm a great believer in that phrase: "By their deeds shall ye know them." Not that I say it very often because it sounds like I'm from the 18th century. But, <laughs> <laughs> but it, yeah, his deeds are all foot dragging. He's not done much, and all the rest of it. But in fairness to your point, I and mean, I, I did, I did think of this myself. He's probably had a big battle, like you say. The report was probably all over by the shouting. There was probably a load of arguments. And so it may well be that he's got such an effort to get it together, that he's just not been able to change it that much. And maybe the test will be, uh, as you say, June or the next one. Maybe that's the one we really look to. But for me, he's running out of chances, and there's no quality, so it's just not acceptable. But I think you're right, Frank. I mean, the the charitable interpretation is he's done that. And that's a good point about his own voice on the slideshow. And as I say... With the infrastructure he's set up, Congress, uh, uh, you know, may be happier with him than this report would suggest. But, I mean, for me, he just needs to pull his finger out. And, uh, funnily enough, John Coglan, who we know, who we met at the, you know, who's on Twitter, and we met at that thing with Ash in uh, in Manchester, the latest conference, he said, he noted, so it's mentioned something today, he refers to the UF, UAP presence as ubiquitous everywhere. And that, he said that's an it's a really profound word, that. So that, to me, I thought that was quite important of what he actually thinks and how they're looking at this programme behind the scenes. And it was a good spot by John. So let's hope, hopefully you're right. And I I am maybe being a little bit harsh because I I just think it's such a poor standard, the report. But yeah, I think what you're saying does have quite a lot of merit or the point you're making, that it might all have been over by the shouting and it's just so complex. And Gary Nolan is right. Reports by committees, as we all know, are by their nature conservative and
0: reductive. Mm, yeah, and I think it's, it's, it's funny as well, like you were saying, the two different kind of tracks which can't really coexist for much longer at some point. It, it does have to come together. You know, this deliberately vague and unambiguous, uh, uh, and sorry, ambiguous language that they use in these types of reports to kind of leave it up to, it could mean anything, basically, the way that they word it a lot of the time, you know. That, that kind of thing can't really go on, you know, for much longer when you're hearing constant, you know, people that have been in these classified briefings hearing about, you know, the the uh, the really compelling stuff. And sooner or later the two things are going to have to come together and, and, you know, that'll be where it gets a bit more interesting. It's like um a similar thing is Kirkpatrick's approach as outlined in that presentation um is you know much more in depth and there's a, there's a bit in there in particular that i made a note of it's on uh, slide 5 uh, where they talk about uh, the the approach basically of, of how they're actually tackling this and one of the uh, one of the points there is uh, synchronizing and sequencing theater ic and other capabilities for optimized cross functional uap detection tracking mitigation and recovery so that's literally, you know, suggesting a, an actual recovery effort underway for any any UAP which which you know may crash or land or whatever it might be. If that kind of thing was in this report, it'd be pretty huge, wouldn't it? You know, like an admission in the public report that they're actually making steps, putting procedures into place to recover UAP. You know, for analysis or whatever. But we're not seeing that kind of thing in in the public reports at this stage. Maybe. In the classified report, so there'll be a lot more of this kind of information. You know, it'll be interesting to see as well what kind of comments there will be from the people who have seen the actual classified report. You know, Tim uh, Bichette has already been quite vocal about saying it's all a cover-up and all the rest of it, but when these people have actually seen the, the full report, which... It seems to suggest that that full report will actually go into some of the specifics about these unsolved cases as well, the ones that actually do have remarkable characteristics. So we could see little bits of information coming out from all that side of things as well.
1: Uh, The the more negative take on that, Frank, although that is a good point, is that those slides, if you look at them, closely align to what the actual NDAA requirements, both in 22 and 23, are, what Mm. they should be doing across the piece. And you could see it as that that's their way. They've done nothing, really, in this report. And this is their way of actually saying, but well, we're actually going to do all this. And, and so the recovered craft reference, while it is interesting, I get that, it may well be just that's something that's sort of been hinted at in the legislation. So they're just talking about what they might do. And a big characteristic of Bray and Moultrie at that hearing, and we keep, they keep talking this great game of what they're going to do, in the future, now it's all set up, and they're talking about a brilliant, a brilliant organisation, and nothing happens. So it's all in the future and jam tomorrow, and and nothing actually in the present. So that and that's what a lot of the filler was either side of that that one paragraph, effectively about the hundred and seventy-one craft. Uh, that was all that was saying. It was just telling us what we already knew and what their aspirations were. And uh, I'm sick of aspirations, to be honest. I want to see some action, but again that might be a bit of a negative interpretation, but that's how I initially read that. Yeah, I thought, oh, he's covering himself here on the, uh fuck the th- what they've got to do. But yeah. uh, you're right. It, I think the other stuff, you can see he's obviously put quite a bit of thought into how they're going to coordinate it, which is new. And as I say, those things, the tracking stuff's good. And then as I say, the other things, about how it's going to work through the sausage machine. So yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, is, it is encouraging. And we'll see, I suppose, like you say in June, uh, where when he when he's his own person, as it were, I suppose. That's uh, it. Yeah, you know, and he's reporting directly to those people, Kathleen and yeah. Stacey uh, Dixon.
0: And I, th- I think it's kind of as time goes along, as well. There's going to be a lot less sort of like um, lenience for Kirkpatrick because this one he's kind of you know he's took over uh, the a lot of this uh, report was specifically relating to the 2022 language. You know what I mean? There isn't any of these excuses anymore now. It's going to be a case of the new language, the toughened up language, and he's going to have found his feet by this point, by the time the next report comes out. And, you know, that's going to be quite revealing, I think. And it's a good point you make about the, um, the, the points on that slide. It could well be a bit of a box-ticking thing. You know, we need to make sure we've dealt with that, that and that, and according to the legislation. So we'll just throw a few bits up in the process and do that. And also... You know, I, th- I think there's a temptation, I do it, I think we all do, there's a temptation with, you hear about, you know, tracking and recovery, uh, you know, uh, of uh, of objects and things like that, immediately you just think, all oh, right, they're going to be like hunting down crashed saucers and, you know, finding bodies and things like that, but it's not necessarily getting at that, like you say, it might just be on the one hand like, we're going to try and do this and this, and that's part of our obligations as required, so they're going to say that anyway. And on the other hand, it could also be, if they are talking about some kind of adversarial technology, sensor platforms and things like that, it would stand to reason that they are going to go and try and retrieve those things. It's a bit like the capture and exploit language from a while ago. Everyone was getting really excited about it, but it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to try and bring down a tic-tac or a saucer or something. You know, they could just be talking about the the percentage of these things which are going to be adversarial center platforms and things like that and and you know that that's another thing i think actually that you know it often gets uh put across by people like you, julian barnes and whatnot that like oh most of these things are just drones See, we've already figured out that i think it's seven percent of them are now confirmed to be drones according to the the new um the, the new sightings and reports that they've had but I, and and you know some people kind of use that as a a bit of a well, see, it's all just drones. But I, I actually think that's kind of a good thing in a way. You know, the the side effect of of pushing for transparency on UAPs has been that actually it's increased the the capabilities and the options they have for actually you know figuring out adversarial sensors platforms and whatnot which we probably should have been looking at in in more seriousness in the first place so you know it's kind of a but in terms of the language yeah we'll see won't we at the end of the day that next report is going to be quite a revealing one it's going to be interesting to see where they go from here for that next one
1: yeah that's a good point you make about uh the, the sightings and the quantifying the drones and all the rest of it because apparently if you add together the ones they couldn't identify last time and this time it's 61 percent of all the thing they've not been able to identify at all, or what they are, you know, and they they Mm -hmm. can't explain them. So the underlying message is true, and as you say, it does give the lie to all those things that Julian Barnes was saying, and the rest of them, who were trying to say, oh, it's all nothing, and this low information zone, and when we look at, when we uncover the data, it all turns out to be explainable, well, that isn't the trend. And, uh, you know, so that's that, that you're right, Frank, that, that is significant, and I think any information like this, as long as it's straight information, helps the cause or or the cause of transparency because we know that it's not all drones and balloons and people are are, you know misinterpreting equipment. We know there's a real thing here, and that's why I think the skeptics and the debunkers and the people who don't want it to go are terrified of. They know that, and that's why they pick on these little points, small talking points, minor arguments, and never address the totality of what's happening which shows there is a real there, there, as it were. You know? Yeah. So it's good.
0: Definitely. I mean, and I think as well, you know, obviously we've opened up the floodgates now. We've said, you know, or I say we, you know, Arrow, should I say. I'm not a part of Arrow, just in case. <laughs> <anybody>. <laughs> before the conspiracy theories start, you know, the the thing is is that they've opened up the floodgates. Anybody sees anything weird, tell us about it. So that that's going to bring in all kinds of things, isn't it? Like I sort of yeah. think of it as before as, you know people who were pushed to report their cases you know probably would have only done so if they felt like they had a really concrete case you know when the stigma was alive and well and back in the day 10 years ago 15 years ago people who reported cases back then they're not going to do it if it was just like oh I saw this thing it looked a bit weird you know they they would have only reported cases if there was something really compelling there particularly if it had been caught on sensor data and actually that 144 cases that was uh, in the original UAP task force report of which only one of them was actually identified as, as being, I think a deflating balloon out out of all of them, the majority of them had multi sensor data. And that was before the floodgates were opened in terms of encouraging people to report things. So now, people are being asked to report things so it it doesn't seem strange to me that a lot of them would be less points of data perhaps not as compelling Oh, i saw this weird thing one time when i was having a cigarette on the side of the ship or whatever it might be you know so it would be you know stand to reason that a lot of those wouldn't be worth pursuing you know what i mean and at this stage they've not said in that report i was just reading through it earlier on it it doesn't talk about any of those 144 original cases having been explained. It's only talking about out of the new cases, half of them we've right. been able to figure out is this and this and blah, blah, blah. you know. But as I say, it sort of stands to reason that that would be the case considering they've asked, you see, anything weird, report it to us. So some of those are going to be a bit flimsy cases, aren't they? And what they've done is they've filtered off the flimsy ones and they've been left with 171 which are pretty interesting, which they're going to be using all the full the full power of all their resources to figure out. So that's what I'm interested in keeping an eye on for that next report. You know, they've filtered off the flimsy cases. Let's see what these other cases are all about.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure if they've got a duty to report actually, Frank, because well, I can't remember when we've talked about it, they're supposed to report it if they see it now. So you're right, it's been a change in, in what should be happening. I, I'll tell you one thing we haven't mentioned, you know, the Chris Mellon, did a little article, didn't he? It was quite funny, I thought. He said, oh, well, it's good. He was quite positive. It showed this, it showed that. said he was disappointed with what, you know, the public information. And at the end, he threw a cheery barb in. when he said, well, that's good, because we know there's loads more stuff about legacy stuff and uh, alien material coming down the line, didn't we? And <laughs> signed off, ha, ha, ha. So it was, I thought it was really interesting, his response. So he was upbeat. But he did allude to this again, this two points we've been mentioning about all the other stuff to come and in a quite a cheery fashion. And he, he sort of criticised the report, you know, if he can do that in a positive way, you know, so not to worry because this is coming. And he said it and he also said it like you it's such a benefit generally but looking at this, we've uncovered a lot more stuff and we've, you know, clarified the intelligence situation and made the environment safer. But that was really significant, again, and maybe it's a bridge between those two sort of points that we've identified, so that was really good as well.
0: Indeed. Right, well, thanks for, uh, for joining me there, mate, and I'll speak to you soon.
1: Cheers, Frank. See you soon, mate. Great to talk to you.
0: Right, so there we have it. I think that's basically about all we've got time for for today. A slightly shorter episode, just a little bonus one, really. Just this report came out, I've been reading through it, I've had a lot of thoughts flying around in my own head, and uh, myself and Dave have been speaking about this offline as well as a few other people. So, just wanted to get some initial thoughts, uh, maybe do some other bits down the line as well it's not really the kind of report that you would be worth doing a full read through of because there's not really a great deal in there but hopefully covered all the main points and uh back again next week with another episode with a return to the regular programming as it were so i just want to give a a really quick shout out to the patreon supporters Uh, i don't receive any income from advertisements as you may have realized when you listen to the pod there is no adverts popping up so all of the support i get is through patreon so if you are in a position to do so and you like the podcast and get something from it please do consider going to patreon.com forward slash ufo thinker and you can support the podcast from as little as a couple of pounds or whatever your local currency is per month you get early access to episodes you get to send me messages on patreon which i get back to every single message that somebody sends me on there and uh, you also get other benefits like ask me anything uh, bonus episodes and things from time to time as well and i really couldn't do this without the support of the patreon uh, supporters so i really wanted to say a big thank you and uh, any any new members? Always very much welcome and very much appreciated as well. So that's all we've got time for for today's episode. I hope you've enjoyed listening. A lot of exciting things to come from the seams from the sounds of things in two thousand and twenty three. So uh, until next time, take it easy, stay curious, and I'll catch you in the next episode. UFO people Podcast.